a feeling of hopelessness that a situation is so bad as to be impossible to deal with. That's the definition for the word desperation. A feeling of hopelessness that a situation is so bad that it is impossible to deal with. If you live life long enough, because you live in a fallen world, you will encounter a situation that causes desperation to rise up in your life. A hopelessness that what you are facing is so overwhelming, it's impossible to deal with. That's what desperation is. And I want to talk to you about how we as followers of Christ think about desperate times and how we move forward when we encounter desperate times. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 21 as we continue our study through this Old Testament book. 1 Samuel chapter 21. We'll begin reading in verse 1. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. 1 The Bible says, Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread if the, only the young men have kept themselves from women. So look in verse 6. So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Now one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Ahimelech, Now is there not a sword or a spear on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it. For there is no other except it here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul is slain his thousands and David is ten thousands? David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath, so he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and I ask that you would draw near to us by your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand this text and understand it in such a way that we will take it and apply it to our lives. Father, just have your way in our midst. God, I pray you would change us. I pray you transform us. God, I pray you would help us and edify us and build us up and encourage us and give us what we need to face life. Lord, even 
when life becomes desperate. And we'll thank you for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, the book of 1 Samuel records for us that the people of Israel clamored for a king like all the other nations had. And so the Lord appointed the first king of Israel. His name was Saul. But because of Saul's disobedience, because of his rebellion against God, the Lord decided to take the kingdom away from Saul and give it to his, a man after his own heart, a man by the name of David. And even after David was anointed king, there was a time of transition where the people of Israel still recognized Saul as their uh, king. And that transition was a very difficult time for young David because Saul grew insanely jealous of David, even to the point where he tried to have him murdered many times. And that's where we pick up our narrative here in chapter 21. David is on the run from Saul's murderous intentions. We saw earlier that David went to Samuel, his mentor, the, the man of God, the prophet of God, to try to find some refuge. But Saul hunted him down there and tried to kill him. And then we saw David uh, run to Jonathan, his best friend. And he goes to Jonathan, who is the son of Saul, and says, Jonathan, why does your dad want to kill me? And Jonathan says, well, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe he doesn't really want to kill you. Let me just go check. And Jonathan goes and talks to his father, and it becomes clear that Saul does want to kill David. So Jonathan goes back and says, you need to run. You need to flee. My father wants to take your life. And so he flees from Jonathan. He goes to a priest. We see that early in chapter 21. He flees to a priest to find some help. And then we saw at the end of chapter 21 that David even fled to the land of the Philistines, the arch enemies of the Israelites, his arch enemies. He flees there for refuge and help and protection. He's so desperate uh, for his life. And so we see him on the run. Saul is hunting him down. And David has really nowhere to go. He even goes to his enemies to try to find a place to hide. David is living in the midst of a, a desperate situation, a, a hopelessness, that a situation is is impossible to deal with. Now, as we study chapter 21, I believe we see some principles that emerge from this text to help us to, to, to learn uh, how we deal with desperate situations. And, and these principles are things we can cling to when we find ourselves in the midst of a, a, a difficult, trying time. So let me give you these four principles, just walking through the text to help us to understand what we cling to, who we cling to in the midst of desperation. Number one... In times of desperation, trust God's provision. In times of desperation, trust God's provision. Uh, there, in verse 1 of chapter 21, it says that David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Nob was a city just outside of Jerusalem. It's where they were uh, carrying out the sacrificial system. It's where the priests were congregated with the, the furnishings that go into the tabernacle. And he comes to the priest Ahimelech to try to find some help. And here's what we see happen in verses 1 through 15. We see the Lord providing for David's needs when he really had nowhere else to turn. And let me show you how the Lord provided for David's needs. First of all, God provided a merciful person. A merciful person. It says there in verse 1, He came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? He knew it was unusual for David, this mighty warrior who had led Saul's army, to come by himself with just a few men. And David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has commissioned me with the matter and has said to me, let no one know anything about the matter on which I'm sending you and with which I'm 
commissioned you and I've directed the young men to a certain place. So David lies here. Uh, he was not commissioned by Saul. He was on the run from Saul. And there's much conjecture about why David lied. Some people believe that David thought that Ahimelech would go and, and tell Saul where he was and, and he would be captured. Others believe that David may have been trying to protect Ahimelech because he knew that if he told Ahimelech uh, that he was on the run from Saul and the priest helped David, that, that Ahimelech would be implicated in treason against the king. And he feared maybe for the, the priest's life. So he lies to him so he doesn't understand really why he comes into uh, Nob. But at any rate, notice what he says there in verse 3. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There's no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread if only the young men have kept themselves from women. So the priest here says, Listen, we don't have ordinary bread to give you, but we have consecrated bread. And what's consecrated bread? It's called consecrated bread twice in this passage, a little later in verse 3. Uh, 8, it's called, or verse 7, it's called the bread of the presence. What is consecrated bread? What's the bread of the presence? Well, when God gave instructions to the Israelites as to how they were to build the tabernacle and how it was to be designed, he gave them instructions about three pieces of furniture that would go in the holy place. There was a, a candlestick uh, where there would be uh, a, a light lit there in the holy place. Uh, he gave them instructions for an altar of incense where incense would be burning. And then he gave them instructions for a table of showbread where the consecrated bread or the bread of the presence would go. Now, on this bread of uh, this table of showbread, there would be 12 pieces of bread, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and there would be fresh bread placed on the table every week. And after the fresh bread was placed on the table, the bread that had been there previously could be eaten by the priest. So it was a way, of God, uh, way for God to provide for the, the physical needs of the priests themselves. This table of showbread was a continual reminder to the people of Israel of God's presence. It's called the bread of the presence. And of God's provision. You know, base, bread was a staple in this day and time. And it was a, a basic way for God to, to show them, I will provide for your needs. And so the priest says, I don't have any ordinary bread, but I have bread that was on the table of showbread, the consecrated bread. It's only for priests, but I'll give it to you. This, this, this priest is showing some mercy to David and his plight. And agrees to feed him with consecrated bread. Now, here's the obvious question. Was that right or wrong? Was it right or wrong for, for the priest to take the bread that was supposed to be eaten only by priests and give it to David and the men that were with him? Well, Jesus comments on this story in the Gospels. In Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, Jesus singles out this story as a way of saying that when someone can be helped, it's okay to violate some of the regulations of the, the, the sacrificial system, of the, of the system I've put in place. In other words, David getting physical sustenance was more important than them saving this bread only for the priests. And so Jesus cites this incident as an excusable violation of the Old Testament regulations. He, he's saying mercy triumphs law. That's what Jesus was saying. So it was appropriate that the, the, the priest helps David out and gives him the consecrated bread. And so along this desperate path that David was traveling down, David meets a merciful person, a person that wants to help him out. The priest gives him what he needs. And, and here's what we need to understand when we find ourselves in desperate situations. Often God will meet our needs through a merciful person, someone who just cares, someone who shows us a, a little bit of kindness, 
someone who identifies with what we're going through, someone who is just there for us when we need someone just to be there for us. If you'll, if you'll be on the lookout, you might see God meeting you in your desperation with a person that cares. And that and just one person that cares can make a world of difference when you are in an overwhelming situation, right? He met David's need by providing a merciful person. Secondly, God provided for his physical needs. There in verse 6 it says, So the priest gave him consecrated bread. There's no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. So David receives the bread and eats the bread. And this meets his physical needs. God met his physical needs in this time of desperation. Uh, you know, bread such a picture of, of our physical needs. Again, it was a staple in this day and time. And bread is still a staple in, in our society and in, 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 in different places in the world. Uh, bread reminds us of our physical needs. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was teaching us how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then Jesus says, give us this day, what? Our daily bread. A, a way to say, Lord, we have daily needs. Would you meet our daily needs? And here, God meets David's physical needs. And in the midst of our, our trying situations, our trying circumstances, we can trust that God is a provider who will meet our needs when they arise. When we have them, we can trust God to be a meter of our needs. Third, God provided for what was ahead. Not only did God provide for the, the food that David needed on that day, God provided for David's future. Look what the Bible says in verse 7. Now one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. Now this is a bit of foreshadowing. We're going to get to Doeg next week in chapter 22. And let me just say this to get past this part quickly. Doeg was an evil dude. All right? We're going to talk more about Doeg next week. Let me say it. Don't name your child Doeg. All right? If you have a child between now and next Sunday, don't name him Doeg, and you'll see why next Sunday. All right? So, Doeg Edomite was there, and verse 8 says, David said to Ahimelech, Now is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent. The priest said, Well, there is the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. Behold, it is wrapped in the cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there is no other accepted. And David said, there is none like it. It was a well-crafted sword. There is none like it. Give it to me. And so David didn't have any weapons. He was on uh, the run. He was fleeing for his life, and yet God provides a weapon. He would need a weapon. David had many enemies. He would face many enemies. He would need a weapon for the coming days. And God not only gives him bread... For the day that he had that need, he gave him a sword for what was ahead. And isn't it encouraging to understand, isn't it encouraging to realize that God not only provides for the here and now, God will provide for tomorrow as well? And that's what David experiences. He experiences God providing for tomorrow. God providing for what was to come. God provided for his needs. And then last, God provided protection for him when surrounded by enemies. The, the story takes a shocking turn in verse 10. Verse 10, the Bible says, Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? What, what's happening here? David flees of all places to Gath, a city of 
uh, the Philistines. Now remember, the Philistines were the, were the arch enemies of the Israelites and, and the arch enemies of David. David had, had, had killed their champion, Goliath. Remember that story? A sling and a stone, Goliath the giant comes out, David kills him. He kills their champion. Then, as he led Saul's army, the Bible records, David led in killing thousands and thousands of Philistines. And David comes walking down the streets of Gath. And people say, wait a minute. We know this guy. This is the one that killed Goliath. This is the one that killed thousands of our warriors. David realizes he's in a tough spot. He has an uh uh-oh moment. Look what it says in verse 12. David took these words to heart. They knew who I am. They don't like me. I'm in a tough spot. So... He disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands, scribbled on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva run down into his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? And so David, to preserve his life, starts to act insane. Scribbling on the gates of the, the doorpost of the gates. He's letting saliva run down into his beard. He's acting uh, insane. And it works. The ruse works. The, the, the king says, don't bring him to me. I, I, I'm not going to deal with this madman. And, and, and it works so that the king does not decide to take, uh, decides not to take David's life. And David escapes. Look what it says in chapter 22, verse 1. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave at Agilom. So David, for whatever reason, went to Gath surrounded by enemies that would have loved to kill him, and somehow his, his ruse of insanity works, and he escapes. How do you explain that? You explain it as God protecting David's life. God preserving David's life, protecting him when surrounded by enemies. So in times of desperation, you can trust God's provision. God will give you what you need when you need it. And you can cling to that reality. You can cling to that truth. Just like he gave David what he needed, when you find yourselves in overwhelming situations, you can trust God to give you what you need too. As I was studying this, I, I thought about uh, something that happened in my life a couple of years ago. You know, a couple of years ago, we lost my mom to cancer. And I was in Florida when she was sick, and she was in the hospital, and my brother was there, and, and, and of course my dad was there, and we had left the hospital for the night, gone home to, to, to get some rest, and we got a call uh, early in the morning saying, my mom was taking a turn for the worst, uh, you, you, know, you need to come to the hospital now, and so we all get into the vehicle, I'm driving, and we're driving to go see my mom, not knowing what's going to happen, we knew that unless something drastic happened, she wouldn't last much longer, and indeed she did not, we we lost her to cancer. But on that particular day, we were driving up to the hospital. I was driving. Dad was sitting in the pasture seat. My brother was sitting in the back seat. And we were just silent, you know, fearful, anxious about what was going to happen, what we were going to encounter when we got there. And I turned on a Christian radio station, and the song, The Voice of Truth, was on. Song, older song by Casting Crowns. And uh, as I was sitting there thinking about my mom, I heard these words. The voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. The voice of truth says, this is for my glory. And I can't explain to you, all I can tell you is this, I needed that in that moment. I needed God to remind me that I don't need to be afraid. I needed God to remind me that 
This is all for his glory, that he's in control. He's got this in his hands. And in that moment, just, just a song, just a, just a chorus from a song on the radio, just a few seconds long, was what I needed to sustain me in the moment. And God may use a song. He may use a person. He may meet some need in your life. He may do something to protect you, watch over you. But God will meet your needs in the midst of your desperation. Listen, you can trust him, right? You can trust him. Secondly, in times of desperation, we need to rest in God's providence. Rest in God's providence. Look what happens in chapter 22, verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now, there were about 400 men with him. So people that are on the fringes of society, those that are distressed, those that are in debt, hear that David's out in the wilderness. They know David's a great leader. They respect David. So they begin to go out to David. An army begins to be formed around David's leadership. And also note that his family, it says there, his father's household and his brothers come out to him at the cave. So look what happens in verse 3. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab... And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. Then he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now, what's happening here? David goes to Moab, and he's able to leave his parents with the king of Moab. Now, because Saul was insanely jealous of David and was, and was trying to murder him, David knew his family probably was not safe. So David takes his family to the king of Moab and says, Can I leave them here with you while I'm dealing with all this? Can you keep them safe? And the king says, Yes, you can leave your family here. Now, how do you explain the kindness of the king of Moab extended to David's family? How do you explain that? Was the king just being a nice guy? I mean, you didn't see a lot of this in ancient times where you cross a border to another nation and the king was nice to you. You didn't see a lot of that. So why was this king kind to David? Well, could it have been, we don't know for sure, the text doesn't say, but could it have been that David's great-grandmother was a Moabite? Her name was Ruth. Remember the story of Ruth? Ruth married Boaz, and the Bible says Boaz begat Obed, Obed begat Jesse, and uh, Jesse begat David. And so David's great-grandmother was a Moabite woman named Ruth. Now, did this come up in the conversation with the king of Moab? I find it hard to believe it did not. At some point, David probably said something, I have Moabite blood. I have Moabite ancestry. And maybe explain the story of Ruth and Boaz to this king of Moab. And we don't know that for sure, but we know it, it couldn't have hurt, right? That David had that Moabite ancestry. And if that's the case, here's what we understand. The Lord's actions carried out decades before this event in the book of Ruth met the needs of David's family. Isn't it an awesome thought to consider that God may have done something years and years ago to provide for you in the here and now? That God is a God of providence that is weaving all the strands of our life together? I like the way Dale Ralph Davis says it. He writes, Yahweh plans his kindnesses long beforehand. He directed circumstances long in advance in order to bring a ray of relief in David's present distress. It was not something David said in place. It was a gift. Yahweh arranged it long before. 
So God did something long before this time of desperation to provide for David in the midst of his desperation, to provide for him an ally with the king of Moab, if that is the case. And if that is the case, we are reminded of this reality. You can rest in the fact that God is working everything out for your good and his glory. Romans 8, 28 says that. Everything, God works everything together for our good, for those called according to his purpose. And so God takes all the strands, all the pieces of our life, and he, and he weaves them together to bring something good into our life and for our life and ultimately for his glory. So when you find yourself in overwhelming circumstances, remember that God's a God of providence. He takes even the bad things, the hard things, and he weaves them all together for your ultimate good. He's in control. Just because you're desperate, just because you're overwhelmed, doesn't mean that God has lost control of things. God is still in control, and God, God is somehow going to use that difficulty in your life. Now, to kind of drive this, this truth home, think about this. Let's just say that years in the future, I, I find myself in financial straits. I have this huge financial situation that's too big for me to handle, too big for me to take care of. And at that time, I receive my father's inheritance. Now, my dad tells me he's spending all my inheritance right now, but let's just, let's just, hypothetically, all right, let's just work with me, work with me. Let's just say there is some inheritance, all right? And, and that inheritance from my father meets that financial need in my life. Now, would that just be a streak of good luck? Would that be, you know, just uh, things going in a better direction? Or would that be my father planning things years ago to provide for me in my desperate situation. See, a lot of times when we, when we see things working out in our lives, we use terms like luck or irony or fate, things like that. Listen to me. There's no such thing as luck. There's God. And God is working everything together for our good. And God can take something that happened years ago, something that he planned in advance to meet your needs in the here and now. So in times of desperation, rest in God's providence. He's in control. He's working in everything around you and in you. Number three, in times of desperation, seek God's guidance. Seek God's guidance. Look what happens in chapter 22, verse 5. This is interesting. The Bible says, The prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now, we don't know much about Gad. He just shows up on the scene to give David a message from God. So David, don't stay here. Go into Judah. And David listens to this instruction and goes to Judah. Now, what, what, what's happening here? The Lord sends a prophet with specific direction for David's life. That's what's happening. Specific direction for David's life. Now, there have been times in my life where I wish I had a Gad. How about you? You're at a crossroads. Got to make a decision, and you wish Gad would come walking up and say, Wade, do this, right? Or you wish God would write it on the wall, you know, put the handwriting on the wall to give you guidance for what to do next. We all find ourselves in, in, in times when we are desperate for God's guidance. God, show me what to do. But listen to me. When you are in a desperate situation, that is when you need to seek God's guidance. And we have a more sure word of prophecy that will guide us through all of life. It's called the Bible. We have something more sure than Gad walking up to David and telling him what to do. We have something better than that. We have the completed 
canon of Scripture. We have the Bible to guide us through our life, even when times are desperate. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me show you what Peter says about the Word of God. Verse 16, Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven and we, when we were with Him on the holy mountain. So here's what Peter's saying. This Jesus I'm writing to you about... It's not a story we're making up. As a matter of fact, we saw him with our eyes. We heard things with our ears. And he mentions here the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John went up on the mount with Jesus. He was transfigured before him. They saw Jesus in his unveiled glory. And at that moment, there's a voice from heaven, God the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So Peter says, Let me tell you about my experience with God. I was on the mountain. I saw Jesus with my eyes. I heard God speak with my ears, which makes the next verse really, really interesting. The next verse, Peter says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure. Peter's saying, we have something that is a more sure foundation than my religious experience. It's more sure than me seeing things with my eyes and hearing them with my ears. What's he talking about? Look what he says. He says, you would be, do well to pay attention to a, to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, he's talking about the Bible here, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So he's saying, we have the Bible. Men wrote it, moved, inspired by the Spirit of God. We have the Bible, which is a sure foundation for our lives. And the Bible is more sure than any experience we'll ever encounter in this life. So you say, wait, I want a Gad to come talk to me. I've got something better than Gad. I've got the completed canon of Scripture, which is always there, a faithful guide through life. And so you say, wait, what role does the Bible play in my life when I'm in a desperate situation? Listen to me, it's everything. When you are encountering a desperate situation, you need to not walk, you need to run to the Bible. Let me say it like this. Desperate times call for desperate Bible reading. You need to get into the book because the book will give you the perspective you need. It will give you the principles you need, the commands you need to move forward with wisdom and godliness even in the midst of difficult times. You see, the, the, the Lord's given you as a Christ follower the Holy Spirit. And when you read the Bible, the Spirit of God illuminates you. He, he opens the eyes of your heart so you can understand the Bible and then take the Bible and apply it to your life. And the Bible gives you what you need to move forward in desperate situations. It gives you the guidance you need, the light you need, the encouragement you need, the principles you need, the commands you need, the admonishment you need. It gives you everything you need in desperate times. And so get into the Word. Get the Word into you, and the Word will guide you in the darkest of moments. Remember years ago, Claire and I had moved to this area. I was in seminary, and Claire was in pharmacy school. And we didn't have a lot of money. Things were really, really tight. And uh, 
my truck from college, my college days was just, it was breaking down. I'd put some, uh, put some money into it and had made some expensive repairs. It was just obvious I was going to keep putting money into this truck. So came to the point where we needed a new vehicle. And so uh, one day, driving home from school, I, I stopped at a, at a car lot, and I began to look at some cars and started talking to a salesman. And, and uh, I saw this brand-new car. It was, it was a compact car, all right? Brand-new little compact car. It was gold. I remember that. And I, I test drove it, and it drove great. It drove great. And, and uh, I talked to the, this, the salesman, and, and he, we worked on the number, and he got it down to the, the lowest price and, uh, that he could sell it for and all of that. And, and so I called Claire, and I said, Claire, here's the situation. You know, we need a new vehicle. My truck's on the blank. Uh, I explained it. What do you think about this? Here's what she said. She said, it's up to you. Whatever you think's best. Which I'm like, well, thanks. You know, if things go good, it's like, good job, Wade. If it's an unwise decision, it's like, well, you bought it. All right. <laughs> she said, whatever you think's best. And so I said, well, uh, okay. So I began to talk to the salesman a little bit more. And uh, I did something my dad taught me a long time ago. He said, Wade, before you ever make a big purchase, walk away. Just walk away. So I said, I'm going to walk away. And, you know, they don't like you to leave the lot once you're on it. They want to make the deal right then. What do we got to do today to get your business? And I said, I said, let me, I just, I walked away. And I went home, and I never forget it. I said, and I sat in my chair, and I said, God, I need some guidance. This wasn't a desperate situation. But this was just, I needed some guidance. I, need, I, you know, I needed a gad to come up and say, buy the car, don't buy the car, right? I needed some handwriting on the wall, buy the car, don't buy the car. I, you know, I need some guidance. And I'll never forget, I began to sit down, just read through the book of Proverbs, and I was thinking about, uh, you know, material things, material possessions, and the role they play in our life. And, and God just opened the eyes of my heart, and by His Spirit, took the principles of His Word and applied it in my life just to show me, Wade, you're not at a place in life where you need to buy a new car. Things are not financially stable. You don't, you don't have the money to, to be able to, to, to move forward with a new car right now. You're just not at that place in your life. You're not, you're not ready for a new car. And so uh, I, I said, okay. I, I, I've sensed that as I read God's Word, and the, the Bible was applied to my life by the Spirit. We went with the used car, and it was a great move. It was, it was cheap. We were able to pay, make the payments easily. I was still driving that car when we started the church 10 years ago. I mean, it lasted us a long time. It was a great car, great vehicle, great used car. And, and that was just God using His Spirit to apply His Word to my life. I needed a gad. I needed handwriting on the wall. But you know what? The Word was enough. The Word was sufficient to help me to understand how to move forward in that moment. And you're, you're going to come to a time in your life where you hit a crossroads. You don't know what to do. And when you're desperate, you really don't know what to do. And you need to get into the Word and let the Word of God shape your mind and shape your heart and guide you in the right direction. And so in times of desperation, seek God's guidance, which leads to the fourth truth, and we'll be through. We've seen that in times of desperation, we should trust God's provision. In times of desperation, we should rest in God's providence. In times of desperation, we should seek God's guidance. And then fourth, in times of desperation, we should relentlessly keep our focus on God. Now, I use that word relentlessly on purpose. It, it, we need to fight to keep our focus on God. We need to relentlessly fight to keep our focus on God. Because when you're in a desperate time, circumstances and emotions will tear your focus away from where it needs to be, which is on the one true God, right? So we need to fight to make sure we keep our focus where it needs to be. Now, as I study for this message, I was studying different commentaries on uh, 1 Samuel 21 and 22. There's a lot of different takes on David's spiritual condition in these passages. As a matter of fact, many authors and many scholars believe that David was, was a failure in these verses. That it was, it was a failure for him to go to, to, to Gath and to run to the Philistines and, 
and uh, he was not trusting God, and, 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 and all these motives are ascribed to David. Now, we've got to be careful when we study narrative passages, because when you re- read a narrative passage, it doesn't always necessarily tell us what was right or wrong, it just tells us what happened, right? So we've got to be careful about reading 1 Samuel 21 and saying, well, that was wrong of David to do, or that was right, that was wrong. It, it's hard to understand sometimes when you're just re- seeing a narrative passage unfold. Was it wrong for David to go to Gath? Was it right? Had he stopped trusting God? Was he running from God? Was he, was he dependent upon himself and his own, his own ingenuity instead of being dependent upon God? What was going on in David's life spiritually during this desperate situation? Well, guess what? We don't have to wonder. Because David wrote two psalms with this story as a backdrop. So we can, we can see exactly what was going on in David's heart and mind during this situation. So turn to Psalm 34. I want to show you this. Psalm 34 and also Psalm 56. Turn to those two psalms and hold your place in both. Psalm 34. These two psalms answer this question. What did David have to say about these events? What did David have to say about these events we just read about? Number one, David said, the Lord is worthy of continual praise. The Lord is worthy of continual praise. Look what David says in Psalm 34. Now notice right before verse 1, there's some small letters. See that? It gives us the context of the psalm. It says, a psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. This is when he was feigning madness among the Philistines. All right? He's feigning insanity before them to to preserve his life. So what was going on in David's heart during this situation? Look what he says in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I don't believe David failed in chapter 21. I believe he was desperate, didn't know where to go. But I know from this psalm that even in the midst of his desperation, David knew God was worthy of praise. I will bless the Lord continually. If things are good, I will bless the Lord. If things are mundane, status quo, I will bless the Lord. If things are terrible, if times are desperate, I will bless the Lord. That's what he says. No matter what happens in life, the Lord is worthy of praise. This reminded me so much of the book of Job. Job lost everything. He lost his family, lost his business, lost his livelihood, lost his future, lost his respect, lost his health. He lost everything. And he, he says, in the midst of losing everything, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job and David model for us what it means to keep your focus upon the Lord even during difficult times. No matter how bad it gets, the Lord is worthy of continual praise from you. And from me. Secondly, what did David have to say about these events? Even though I'm desperate, I believe the Lord has my life in his hands. That's what he he has to say about these events. Even though I'm desperate, I believe the Lord has my life in his hands. Look what he says in Psalm 34, verse 7. He's surrounded by enemies, the Philistines. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who what? Fear him, and he rescues them. Turn over to Psalm 56 with me. Psalm 56. Notice the small letters right before verse 1. 
It says, a miktom of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. The same setting is when he was seized in Gath, surrounded by enemies. What does he say about this? Look what he says in Psalm 56, verse 3. Love this verse. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. By the way, that's a great verse to memorize. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I put my trust. I shall not be afraid. Watch this. What can mere man do to me? Look in verse 9. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? So even in the midst of his desperation, surrounded by enemies, David knows he's in God's hands. You've got me. You've got me. The angel of the Lord encamps around me. What can man do to me unless you allow it, God? You have my life in your hands. And listen, if you are a child of God, if you are a born-again follower of Jesus, no matter what comes, based upon the authority of the Word of God, He has you in His hands. may not feel like it, but He does. And you can trust Him in the midst of that pain. Which leads to this point. David says, the Lord understands my pain. The Lord understands my pain. Psalm 34, 18, David says, the Lord draws near to the brokenhearted. And then look in Psalm 56, verse 8, look what he says. Amazing verse. David says, you have taken account of my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your book? You know what David's saying there? David's saying, every book, every tear that's driven, that's, uh, gone down my cheek, has been captured by you in a bottle. You keep it, and you write it in a book. You, you know what's behind my tear, and what's behind all of my tears. He knew that even in the midst of his desperation, God understood his pain. God drew near to his broken-hearted condition. God kept his tears in a bottle. He knew that even though he was desperate, God understood, and God would draw near to him and minister to him. And then fourth, what did David have to say about these events? David knew his only recourse was to pray. Look over in Psalm 34 with me, verse 4. David says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Look in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord, notice that word, he hears. The righteous cry, and he hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. So David says, I know that when I'm in a desperate situation, if I cry out to God, God will hear. And I want you to understand this morning, that there's going to come a time in your life when you face something that no one can fix. Nobody can fix it for you. No one can make it better for you. No one can take the pain away. Your only recourse is to cry out to the one who can do anything about it. Your only recourse is to cry out to God. And the Bible tells us that God in His grace hears us when we pray. 
Desperate times calls for desperate Bible reading. And, and desperate times call for desperate prayer. Desperation should move us to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in times of need. So I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you are going to go through in the future. But one day, desperation will come knocking at all of our doors. And when desperation comes, when overwhelming circumstances come, we've got to remember to relentlessly keep our focus on God. Where else are we going to go? God's the one who helps. God's the one with the answers. God's the one that sustains. God's the one that understands. We need Him in the midst of our desperation.